Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders from Milsanda for the Accidental Aliens. You are also a beer aficionado. So, beer aficionado, what beer are you aficionadoing? I am, I am. So, we had a few. Um, before the show, so this is a couple weeks yeah. in a row that this double, is double, double. Yeah, I was. I you don't sound you don't sound nearly as drunk coming into this as you were last week. <laughs> no, man. Yeah, so we we just had a couple um, over at Harland Brewing at One Paseo down where I'm at. Very nice area. Harland's a great brewery. Obviously, we've talked about that a few times on this this podcast. Yeah, man. Um, over the last couple of years. And so we had a couple of there. There's a couple of specialty ones. Honestly, I can't remember the names of them. One had calamansi in it, which is a very Filipino used um, uh, fruit. It's a very mm. sour. And so they had a calamansi beer. Um, and that was fantastic. I actually really enjoyed that. We had three different ones. And that was the one I enjoyed the most. Because it was like crisp, nice and smooth, and not overly boozy. And that's mm-hmm. just what I'm looking for right now. Yeah. Um, but let's fast forward to right now. I am currently having everywhere. It is a... Wow, what does that say? D-D-I-H Hazy Double IPA. I don't even know what the oh, fuck okay. that means. Um, uh, anyway, so it's a double IPA. Yeah. And it is... It's strong smelling. It, yeah, double, double IPA is not fucking around generally. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So it's a combination of two things that I really enjoy. I don't really like regular IPAs. I do enjoy doubles for whatever the reason. And this yeah, is I'm, a I'm double you. hazy. So, and I love hazy. So yeah, we're good. Yeah. This is a pretty solid beer. I enjoy this. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well, I promised that I was going to be going through my stouts, my cellared stouts. And so I did save a cellared stout for tonight. I have been a little lighter on the beer these last couple of days, um, just for whatever reason. Or or the beers I've been drinking have been lighter. You know, lager here, or lager there, that kind of thing. Um, but this motherfucker is not light. This is Birthday Media Noche Imperial Stout by Weldworks. Okay. So this bad boy, are you going to take a photo or not? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Just keep it rolling. I got it. Bam. All right, so uh, so yeah, this thing here here's some of the shit that's in here. This is pretty interesting. So I'm gonna read this birthday media noche for the 20th iteration of its birthday bourbon. Old Forester, their partner, selected a very limited number of barrels, which were filled in June 2010 and aged for 10 years before packaging to commemorate their 150th anniversary. Oh wow! After resting for 20 months in these highly highly coveted casks. The resulting Birthday Midian Noche blend expresses notes of honey-drizzled baklava, chocolate sugar cookies, cinnamon mocha latte, and yellow cake batter. Don't drop that cake. Yeah, don't drop that cake, son. Um, (laughs) The reason I bought this, Scott, actually harkens back to Harlan from last year. Because uh, the my beer of the year last year was this birthday cake stout that they had made that I had just like a quick glass of. Um, before, like, I, you know, Rachel and Eden were out doing something that went, that was when I was at one Paseo and so were you and, and your lady. 
And uh, anyway, so that inspired this, and this is not as good as that Harlan, but it is quite good. I ordered two mm-hmm. bottles of it. I did have the first bottle maybe a week and a half ago, and the whole bottle's going, brother. 16.9 ounces, and this thing's at least 13%. We're, oh, hey. fuck. We're, we're taping this prior to, to, to the Thanksgiving holiday, and we're going hard in the fucking paint here. So ushering in the holiday season a little bit early, because why not? Of course, by the time this airs, it'll be a little late, and the holiday season will be that much further uh, on us. Man, I, so that that reminds me, I probably should try to find something special for those those holiday episodes that we'll have coming up at the end of the year. I need to find yeah. something special for those episodes. So yeah. I'm wondering what that'll be. But something with a pretty high ABV, I imagine. ABV. Yeah, you, you know what I actually bought today but did not bust it out? I bought two beers from our holiday special last year because they're back. I oh, bought okay. I bought Brewery X's Bark Griswold, which is the one that one of the ones I had, and that is a peppermint chocolate peppermint stout. Mm-hmm. And I bought uh, which one? The tiramisu, brother. I brought oh, I, I bought yeah. that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that should so you were right. Four dollars. Four dollars at Trader Joe's. Look at that. Uh, got, a year's gone by. They haven't raised the price. You gotta love fucking it. A. One place is immune to it, man. That beer. <laughs> and those those couple beers at Trader Joe's. But yeah, and and it's a you're right, it's a big honking bottle. It is ten percent too. So maybe uh maybe I'll I'll have maybe I'll save that one or I'll just drink it and buy another one. Yeah, it's four uh, bucks. By the Why time, not? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the two buck chuck of stouts, basically, right? Yeah, like so. the best two buck chuck you've ever had. You know, yeah, it's, totally, it's amazing. Totally. Every Everyone listening to this, go do yourself a favor. Go to Trader Joe's, get that, get that tiramisu beer. It is fantastic, dude. You um, know what? This one is eight percent, by the way. Yeah, so we got a high power rating ranking this this week. I'm gonna throw it out here right now. I'm gonna definitely have. We're probably gonna do a double episode, and therefore we'll have two beers. I'm gonna have the tiramisu for one of those two episodes. So people out there, especially the people that like to drink along to the podcast. Go get yourself a tiramisu, man. I, you can have it with me. I'm going to have one, and you can have one, too, right? So I'll, I'll do one early signal flare for that, and then the second one, I'll, it'll be a surprise. There we go. Maybe I'll maybe I'll join you. Maybe I'll have a Hell tiramisu. Yeah. We'll talk to Gary. We'll say, hey, yeah. you want to just, we'll all have the same thing. That might be cool. We never do that. Yeah, that is cool. That is cool. I like that. I like that. So, yeah, we have time to, to chop it up. And I, I, I like that. Everybody can just drink drink along with us here. So I'm the host with the most. And you get to go first, so you get to tell me the first thing that you did this last week, man. Well, the the most important thing to get done every week is to knock out pages in your most current comic book, and that's what I'm doing. Another page of Second Shift is in the books, so that's a total of nine down, 14 to go. So we're, we're trucking along. That's like a good amount of pages, but there's still so much more ahead of me. But, you know, when you're creating these comics, that's not something you have to worry about. You want to just focus on that page and make sure you knock it out. And the more you do that before you know it, you're going to be, uh, you know, more than halfway there and ready to roll. And and honestly, the page that I'm working on this week, it is a five panel page and I am done with four of them. And we're recording on a Tuesday. So yeah. that's a good sign. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's things it. are First moving. Thing. How yeah, many man. things you have? How many things you have? Uh, one, two, three, three essentially. Okay. There's kind okay, of a fourth we... one that actually might be fun to talk about. So, okay. but it's something I need to, like I said, I've been drinking before this, so it's something I need yeah. to. Maybe we just talk it out on the air and see where that goes. But um, yes, okay, good. I yeah. think my my third one's going to be kind of fun too. So the last couple that we do here will be will be fun. 
Okay. So, cool. um, all right. So I'm going to talk about my first. By the way, very very cool that you're plowing along with that. Is there is there anything that has popped up in your head as you've been doing these last couple pages that's been different in any way from the pages you've done before? The style. The style yeah. is something that I'm noticing more and more as I'm doing these pages. Like there's a certain way there's a certain way that I do hair for these characters and like the way I'm rendering and coloring characters with black hair is different now. It's just like I'm embracing the darkness of it all. Like I grew up reading Marvel comics where it's like if someone has dark hair, you kind of get like patches of darkness to it, but then it's colored blue, you know, whatever it is. Right. And then with, you know, 90s comics and, and computer coloring, that started to change. And they started introducing more blacks and grays and stuff like that. And um, what I'm doing now, and, and, and honestly, I had been doing that style um, with the majority of the issues. With this issue specifically, I'm embracing the darkness. And it's just the hair is black. And then, okay, is it shiny? Okay, there's going to be a shine effect to it. But it's but the majority of the hair is black and it's doing something different to my art, something that I'm really enjoying. It's like it's kind of adding a better contrast, but it's also adding a cartoony element, which is strange mm -hmm. because you don't really see that in cartoons. But there's the combination of how I throw my lines down and how I'm doing the hair and maybe just how I'm rendering in, in general now is changing. So that's something I've noticed a lot in the last. It's funny that you said, hey, have you noticed anything in the last couple of pages? Yeah. I did notice that in the last few pages. And it's like, huh, okay, cool, boom. Yeah, mind that's, melt. That's, that's the kind of five-star fucking experience that people can expect <laughs> on this podcast. You know, that's what happens. Embracing the darkness. I just made that up. <laughs> I was I was trying to decide whether to go like '80s uh, falsetto or try death metal, but it feels embracing the oh, darkness feels more King Diamond '80s yeah. Satan to, than yeah, yeah, than yeah. you know kind of death metal shit. Get so. that that metal hair going on and everything. You're welcome, world. Rocking yeah, it exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, that's good. I mean, again, that's that's what's cool, right? I'm glad. Oh I no, I love it, man. Like it's it's a really exciting time for me art wise it's just like my style keeps changing a little bit here and there and there's something going on with it right now that i'm just digging and like the more pages i do the more excited i am to draw this issue hell yeah man that's great that's great i mean i think being excited having a certain energy to the stuff you want to do that's also what i'm going through right now and so my first thing is that i am continuing to crank through the three protector script the first 20 pages now are mostly done. Um, I believe I will have to go back through the first couple pages and make like specific panel size and angle callouts or yeah, size and shot callouts. You know, like I think right now I have everything broken down by panel, but maybe there are some pages that I didn't quite I wasn't quite feeling the whole like small panel, big panel, small shot, medium shot, wide shot, very wide shot, etc. So I can just go back and do that. I did it for for definitely most of them, but it's not 100, 100 percent done. But I have finished the first 20 pages and uh, and I'm happy about that. The way that this is followed. So just as a refresher, I think I've mentioned this before. What works the best for me right now. I mean, this tends to be the way I like working just because like I'll sit there and think, OK, Keith, you got these 20 pages to write or you got X amount of pages to write. How are you going to do it? 
Yeah, you don't, you know, like, I don't like, for whatever reason, I don't like thinking about calling out panels immediately. I think it just bogs me down. So what I do is, uh, I again, a lot of this is standard process. It's just morphing it into the stuff that I like. And so for me, I like saying page one, this stuff happens high level. Page two, this stuff happens high level. Page three, this stuff happens. And sometimes I'll do the reverse. Sometimes I know there's going to be a lot of dialogue. So the most important thing for me to do is write the dialogue interplay. And then I'll worry about visualizing that and turning that into panels later. So it's a back and forth depending on the type of scene. But then once I have that basic idea of the page or I'm just writing dialogue and working backward to the pages, that's when I then break it down more. So on the kind of page where it's just like, this is what's happening, then I proceed to put the dialogue in. Dialogue tends to come first for me. And then after the dialogue, generally I am envisioning how this stuff is working. And that's when the scene description and also the panel framing helps if we want to call it that right the the size of the panel and the description of the kind of shot I'm looking for because for me that's how I write my stuff it's generally a close-up a medium shot a wide shot and a very wide shot and then sometimes I'll just have fun with that you know I'll say panorama or I'll say you know planet scale shot (laughs) you know or or close-up of face and and shoulders you know something like that right but that's that's what I've done the first 20 pages with. And um, I had this neat interchange I wanted to to share. I'll obviously change a few things or keep a few things out. But I was I hit this this sticking point on what was going to be a bit talking heady. And so I'm going to stop here and I'm going to resume with the text exchange that I had with Mike. So uh, Mike Perkins of Invader, also the editor of, of Invader Books. Um, so here's my so Keith craft thing. I'm seeing a scene in Three Protectors, Volume 2, blah, blah, blah. Again, the scene isn't important. I'm just saying I'm seeing a scene. And then I say, it almost has to be a talking head page or two. Any concerns? Mike, nope. Just got to make it interesting. Unique angles or maybe, and then he gives me a specific idea. And then I, Keith, okay, word. That's a great idea. I think between the couple things I had thought of plus the idea you just gave me, that unlocks how I can do the scene. Thanks. Um, that one extra thing that you gave me was a key to unlock the scene. That's what I said. And then Mike, they're huge, right? Me, totally. Crazy how one little thing will make everything fall in. This is turning a scene I wasn't sure about into something that'll be fun. Mike, that's the key right there, I think. Every scene should be fun for you and the reader. Any scenes where you're like, well, just got to get this out of the way, dot, 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 BS. There's a way to make it fun. And so I like that exchange. I mean, I don't think any of those things are necessarily new, right? Like a lot of them are intuitive, but I still wanted to share it. And I like saying it because it's a good reminder. It's a good reminder that this shit's supposed to be fun. If it feels, and, and I like Mike's idea there. If it feels like a chore, you're not trying hard enough to make it fun. It should be fun. If you're not having fun, guess who else isn't gonna have fun? Anybody. (laughs) Right. Right. Nobody's going to have fun drawing it. Remember, I think we've talked about this before that like your target. I think we were talking about it in the learn from the pros. They were the ones who brought it up. Your first and, and foremost customer as a writer is your artist. You need to have your artist tackle the panels and pages with energy. 
And to do that, you've got to bring energy, you've got to make it fun, and you've got to be creative as a writer. And then once once you get the artist buy-in, they're going to want to draw it, they're going to draw something kick-ass, and then readers are going to love it. So, you know, it, it really does all come back to fun, which should be triple underlined, considering that we are talking about making comics at an independent level, where, again, most likely this is not your primary source of income. So if you're not having fun at something that's not your primary source of income, why are you here? <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. What's the point of even doing it if you're not having fun? Yeah. And yeah, <clears throat> yeah no, that's all great. That's a great exchange. Um, and honestly, I just I don't have as much of an issue with talking head pages, I think, as most do, um, especially if your artist is good. Mm-hmm. So if you have an artist, like I remember a Talking Heads page clearly that I was just kind of pouring over because it was a Humberto Ramos um, Spider-Man page. It was a Spider-Man issue. And he had a Talking Heads page. And I just love the way he draws. And so he was just drawing the head and the torso and the, you know, it was like bust shots, a lot of bust shots. But he was doing them like he was having the character act, you know. He was gesticulating. He was moving his hands. He was turning his head. And, like, for me, visually, I was just marveling at it because I love the way he draws. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, for me as an artist, that's what I was doing. And I don't know... I don't know how everyone else is taking it in as a comics fan. Uh, in my brain, I'm like, everyone has to be enjoying this because he's mm-hmm. just such a great artist. And hey, comics are a visual medium. So, yeah. you know, why wouldn't you be interested in something like this? And, and you know, we've talked about Talking Heads in the past where you can tackle it from multiple ways. You can literally do the Talking Heads, people having conversations or whatever. And then you can also have that same conversation, but laid over shots of the background. You mm-hmm. know, it's just like, what are they doing with their hands? Where are they looking? You know, like, what are they looking at? You know, is there interesting stuff in that office or that place where they're where they're having that conversation that you can point the camera at and, like, it kind of brings something a little different. You know, mm-hmm. it kind of builds the environment in which they're at. So there's multiple ways to do it. Um, me, personally, I don't have problems with them, but I know... You know, sometimes editors do. It's just like it's boring. It's like people aren't going to want to stare at this or whatever. But, you know, my pushback is, well, how good is your artist? Because then everything's okay. Yeah. I mean, I will say, too, that I have a particular weak spot for a type of talking heads page that I think Mike would would fucking roust out of the room if I dared do it, which is that I, I can't remember what books this is in. I get the feeling it's in Watchmen, though. The kind where all you are doing is just literal headshots or like you're saying bus shots. And it's just a person talking, another head, the first head, the second head, a third head, the first head, the second head. And all it is is like a page of nothing but like 16, maybe more panels of just heads. Like, I fucking love that type of page. Right. And I know that that is wrong in every single way. So in a way, it's helpful to have someone like Mike because it's going to push me out of my comfort zone because if left to my own devices, I'd probably have one of those every single arc of every single story I do. And so, but what's cool is by him telling me that, it shifted it in a whole nother direction. Look, I will be happy to bring up this scene again or we can even talk about it, you know, whenever, once the, the pages actually get drawn and or are released. Because I I really do think this is going to turn a 
you know, exposition kind of scene into something that is really fun and has um, some really cool stuff going on. So again, I'm happy that what started in my head one way now exists in my head in an entirely different way, much better, much more epic, and uh, and and it's going to be fun to write. Well, it, it was fun to write, and it's going to be fun for somebody to draw, that's for sure. Right on. Um, you know, and I'm going to dovetail that into my second thing, which is me and Ed had a conversation with Mike Perkins today. So we, I talked about this a few episodes back. I, I can't remember at this point, three or four maybe. And so he finally had a chance to read Second Shift issues 1 through 12. Okay. And just give us the overview, like what he thought. Um, we still haven't received his notes. He wants um, essentially a skeleton of what we're going to do moving forward. And then he wants to look at that and then I think compare his notes or something along those lines. And then he's going to send everything over. So, um, yeah, but no, we had an hour long conversation uh, on on Zoom. We zoomed it up and we had a nice conversation talking about um, things that need to be worked on or adjusted in the issues. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting, too, because there was a couple of notes that he gave that I didn't necessarily agree with. And Mm -hmm. so that actually kind of works with what you're saying, like, hey, I like those talking head pages, but there's no way he would want those in any of the books. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because it's in Watchmen, which is one of the most highly acclaimed books there can be, but it's something he doesn't like. Right. Right. So it's one of those things where most of his notes, I was like, I agree with what you're saying. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Okay, we need to fix that. We need to adjust this. We need to look into this. But then there were a couple of notes where I was just like, I don't really agree with that, you know? Right. And so it's interesting, though, to hear you say it because it's just like, okay, art and comics, it's just like you like what you like out of it. And regardless of your job or your view, like, are you just a fan? Are you creating these things? Everyone's view on these things are just slightly different. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, um, yeah, it's one of those things where I and, and we were having a conversation and he goes, well, you know, this is what happened in this issue. But, you know, that's kind of like four pages wasted. And I'm like, but that's part of the story we wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? You know, like trying to figure it out. It's like, look, I'm not pushing back, but I just need to know like, hey, look, this this issue, we're, we're doing these things and this is what we're showing specifically for these issues. But you're saying like, that's kind of a waste of these these pages. But I'm like, but that's almost the point of this issue. So it's, it's one of those things where you, you, you're searching for the right answer. You're like, okay, I agree with all of these things, but there's elements that we're telling that we want people to get to know these characters better. And why not have them in this environment? Because that's their environment when they're not superheroing. Mm -hmm. So, so what do we do there? How do we, what's the move? You know what I mean? So, um, there, there was a lot of good back and forth and like just trying to figure stuff out and, and just like, he's like, okay, Hey, give me this, give me this. And we'll go from here. And like, Hey, if there's, when I send you these notes, cause he wants to send the notes after we give him the overview of mm-hmm. like uh, the skeleton of where we're going with so the story. Understand. Yep. Totally. Yeah. I get it. I get why yeah. he wants them. Yep. Yeah. So it, it's cool. It was cool. The conversation was awesome. Like I really enjoyed it. It was like, getting information that we've needed and wanted for quite a while. It's mm-hmm. just like, okay, let's get some professional eyes on this and see what we need to adjust, see what's working or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was a great conversation and there was just a couple of things that's like, you know, I, I hopped on the horn with Ed right after I was like, Hey, call me. Like, I, I want to talk right. about what we just talked about. And then, so we had our, he was like new phone who dis. 
<laughs> I was like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was uh, it was good. It was good to hear the information that we needed, and um, you know what's working with the story, and uh, just what we need to adjust, and then so and like where we plan on going with the story. And it's interesting to have those questions because, like, the story of where is this story going? It's like, well, I can tell you what storylines are coming up, and but I don't really know how to answer that because. This is a book I just want to draw until I'm done drawing. Like I don't I don't plan on stopping drawing second shift ever. It's just something I want to do for quite a long as of right now. That's what I'm saying. So as of right now, there's no end in sight because I love these characters. I love spending time with them. I love drawing them. So I don't have uh where is this going? You know, and and um we were talking about a couple of things. One of those was the the drawtober issues so he goes okay these these issues kind of don't push the plot forward and i was like they're kind of an experiment because they were the drawtober issues but issue 11 reintroduces lagrange to the universe like it you know as far as the first story arc goes you think one thing happens and then he reappears in issue 11 um, issue 12, it shows you the power of this one character who was almost pretty much a background character in the first issue that he appeared in. And so it's kind of like a reintroduction to him to show you what he is capable of. And so I was like, look, those, those issues specifically, I guess they don't affect the overall storyline, but they do give you more information about those characters. So... Um, what I used for an example is Spider-Man. I was like, look, every issue of Spider-Man doesn't push the story forward. Sometimes it's a one-shot story. It's a one and done. You deal with it and you move forward. And so, you know, his his point was like, yeah, but there's an established universe. And I was like, yes, I was like, but these are issues 11 and 12. So you have 10 other issues to get to know these characters, get to know these villains. And so... That was kind of my viewpoint on it. So if if that's not true, like if you read these 12 issues and there's not enough information there, so you still don't care about these issues, okay, I guess I did them too soon. But, you know, at the same time, they're experiments. They're just like, hey, these are my Drawtober projects. I wanted to turn them into a comic book. So, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting, like the viewpoint of it all. Um, it's like where Kadoja, all of the stories are pointed out at something like this mm -hmm. is the story this is where it's going mm -hmm. like second shift there's issue six is a holiday issue it doesn't do mm -hmm. anything it doesn't push the story for, for right. you know forward he said it was a fun story he goes i actually liked it i thought the holiday issue was fun i was like cool mm -hmm. um he goes but it doesn't push anything forward okay fair enough right. it's a holiday right. issue um so just second shift is like that it's like there's some other titles out in the world that are just like that. Sometimes yes. you just have stories that are stories for story sakes. It's like, do you like these characters? Okay, well, we're just having a story with them. And it isn't necessary. There's not an end goal there, but this is the story that you read. And do you like these characters? Okay, well, that's what that story is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the, in the book, the, the line that keeps on coming through my head. Um, I believe I've mentioned these books before. Hey, I always like mentioning fun pop culture stuff. Uh, in case people want to check it out. There's a series of books by, I think it's Bloomsbury Academic Press about music. They're called 33 and a Third. And I'm guessing we are up to like 150 of them or something like that. But 33 and a Third books are these small, 
little little tiny journal size books and every single one of them tackles one album so basically an author tackles an album however they want to tackle it right like there was you there there are books on almost every great album out there at this point and sometimes journalists get really artsy on their books and sometimes they just stick to like kind of the tr- the tried and true. The tried and true is you set up the context of the album and then you generally do a bunch of interviews and then you create an oral history around the album and around every single song on the album and then you talk about reception and impact. That's that's the one that's the type of book that I personally like to buy out of this series and I probably need to check it out cuz they've probably released books in the last 2 or 3 years since I haven't bought a single one that are um, that are in my wheelhouse. Anyway, what I loved about 33 and a third was they were the first, they were in fucking academic, you know, press and they did a book on Rain and Blood by Slayer, my favorite album of all time, right? So I I gobble up everything about Slayer. In fact, fun fact, the guy who wrote that Slayer book, he was a guest on my last podcast, The Vinyl Exam. Um, oh, right DX on. Ferris. Yeah, man, we had him on. He was cool as fuck and it was fun yeah. to talk talk to. And uh, we just talked about Slayer and metal the whole time. So it was amazing. But he interviewed all the dudes in Slayer. He actually wrote a follow-up book to that, um, to the Rain and Blood record where he kept on, you know, he has good relationships with him. But long-winded point there's this cool anecdote, a bunch of cool anecdotes about them in the studio because Rick Rubin, the mega producer, back before he was a mega producer, he produced Rain and Blood. Like Rain and Blood is actually on his old hip hop label, uh, Deaf American. That's who he recorded. It may have even been on Deaf Jam first and then he brought it over to Deaf American. But Rick Rubin would tell the band members in Slayer shit. And, and he would say, well, you know, I think you should do this. I think you should do that, you know, because he's a producer. That's what he's here for. He's here to right. build people's, you know, profile and stuff. And uh, Rick Rubin had a well-known line that whenever people would say thanks, but no thanks, he would say, it's your career. Right. Like, that's it. No big deal. It's your career. Right. Like Rick Rubin had a full knowledge of the fact that he was a producer. He was going to make this one record that was a, a, a point on a map of a band's career. And so the band would always get the the tie, the 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 ability to break the tie. And again, the way that this was presented was it would always be non-confrontational. It wasn't just like, well, it's your career. You know, he'd be like, no, right. hey, it's your it's your career, right? Just that simple. And uh, that's the line that keeps coming back in this, right? Like at at some point, you know, like the the ties, it's your property, it's your career, it's your path you want to carve. So that's going to be the thing that you want to do. So you know, hey. You take, uh, hey, take what is useful, leave what is useless. To quote Absolutely. the mighty Scott Loss, Bruce Lee, you jeet kundo that shit, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, again, it, it's all, it, this happens all the time. I think it's, I think it's a, uh, it's been a nice, I hope the listeners in, enjoyed this path because it's, a, it's, a, it was a good insight into listening to all the notes and then running it through your own internal processor. Right. Which notes should I take? Which notes really resonate with me? And which notes am I like, mm, not feeling it? I'm just going to trust my own instinct on this, which I've spent my own time honing. So, again, a, a really good exercise. It sounds like your time with Mike was well spent. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, there's there's no contract that requires you to take 100% of people's notes. You know, so... Mm-hmm. That's all you can do, man. Again, take 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 what resonates, and if it doesn't resonate with you and you feel a certain way, well, then, you know, what you've done is you've actually just had a water test against your own beliefs and come out like, no, 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 I understand this and I understand that, 
but I yeah. still want to proceed with the way that I'm doing things. Right. Yeah. Like I, <clears throat> yeah, I called Ed right after and I was just like, yeah, man, what do you think? And so we went over a few of the things and he goes, look, he goes, it's all fresh. We're all, we're both taking it in. He goes, you know, it's just like, we just got to learn how to not take it personal. I was like, oh, I'm not taking any of this personally. Right. It's like, I've, but no, fuck I'm, you. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fuck you, Mike, you piece of shit. Give me your lunch money. Look, all of these notes that he was saying was good. Like, I understood all of these. There was yeah, a couple. Totally. I was just like, I don't know about this one. And and there, I'll give you insight on one of them. And it was it was something simple and it was something small. And he goes, mm -hmm. he goes, like, for instance, he goes, when you talk about their apartment, like one time it says second shift apartment, one time it says T2S headquarters, one time it says T2S base, you know, mm -hmm. and, and he goes, it kind of jumps around. It's not consistent. And then when me and Ed were talking about that, Ed's like, I don't think he gets its tongue in cheek because it's an apartment. So it's not right. a headquarters, you know? Right. And so that was just like was kind intentional. of- yeah. yeah, it's intentionally, we're just, it's the apartment and it's like, mm -hmm. and it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, a tribute to, to Invincible because it's the same shot. It's the same exact shot. It never changes. Yeah. It's, it's always the same apartment building. It's just literally right. the same drawing. Right. And, um, you know, so it's just kind of like, yeah, it's a goof, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was one of the notes where like, I was like, should we just make it consistent? And he goes, I just don't think he gets the joke. And right. I was just like, okay, right on. And, yeah. and you know, so it's just like a small thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, But there was tons of helpful shit there that I was just like, dude, we need to get to that. We need to fix that. Yeah. I mean, to paraphrase the mighty Mark Sarvis, right? My novel mentor, not my reader, not my vision. And um, and again, I'm, Mike is your reader and that helps. But like, you know, there was the miss in the vision there. Right. So mm. it, yeah. it happens all the time. Right? Yeah. So, all good. So not not a big deal. Um, all right. Cool. Cool. So, no, that's good. That was uh, again, I, I thought that was a super cool discussion. I, I hope the listeners did, too. So for my second thing, um, hey, I got back into the novel a little bit. Uh, I let it sit for a while. And I as I mentioned last week, it was it was back burner. But starting, I think, maybe yesterday, maybe the day before I was like, OK, I'm ready to I'm ready to commit to mostly 500 words a day. So I'm going to work on the comic stuff I want to work on, and then I'm going to do my best. Hey, and if I get to the end of the day and I still haven't done my 500 words and I don't feel like doing it, well, then I'll just put that deliverable the next day and skip a day. Hey, I, I, I've earned it, you know. Um, so, yeah, man, but I did get back into it, targeting the the two pages a day. I've already incorporated the, uh, the 8,000 words that I had sort of repurposed. And now, um, to go back a couple more episodes, I am now writing that, quote, scene that I had to see. The one that, that's going to kind of drive other stuff. And it's fun. And so I do have some things I'm going to do. In fact, um, I just pulled a book off the shelf that I'm going to look at tomorrow, which is a good book for inspiration for the stuff I want to write. Because, you know, same with, with comic scenes. With, with the book, what I'm finding with this first draft of the second novel. And I think to call it a first draft is is a bit of a misnomer because it's really the first part of what I'm going to call the first draft. Because what I need to do is I need to have the actual plot character and interchange happen in all these scenes. That's what I plan on doing for this first pass through. Then what I'm going to do is go back to every one of these scenes and start to add some actual color to them. Cause they're a bit, you know, outline on the comic pagey, and they don't have the type of rich 
character actions. They don't have the kind of description that I want yet because much like with the comic with Three Protectors I mentioned in part one and with all my comics, I, I need to like write the dialogue and see how the actual scene moves forward first and then I can flesh it out with the cool shit. The cool shit is generally easy. The nice prose, it takes time. Describing the scene, describing facial gestures, etc., setting up the scene, walking out, you know, not setting up, like building up to the scene, having the scene, and then building down all the stuff that makes a scene other than just straight dialogue. I'll do that on a second pass of let's call it the first draft. So right now, though, I'm, I'm throwing in whatever cool stuff I can think of and whatever fancy pants writing stuff I can think of this time. But in general, it's just like I got to figure out what's actually fucking happening first and then I can worry about filling everything in after that. And that's where I am. And it's a good time. And uh, and again, I'm, I'm doing my best to inform my brain a little bit and have these scenes be as rich and vivid as possible. While also understanding that I really have to figure out, you know, again, we're, we're building that house again. So I got to get the foundation right before I get too cute with anything else. So it's foundation building time. And that's what this first part of the first draft is essentially uh, acting as. Right on, man. Yeah. So um, you had mentioned basically kind of abandoning the novel November, but it's mm-hmm. nice that you've found a way to do a bit of everything and it reminds me of the time where i was basically balancing commissions yet staying on top of my pages it's like yeah carve out the things that's on top of your priority list okay you're working on three protectors that that is the thing at the top of the list so when i do x amount of work on this issue then i can jump back to the novel give Mm -hmm. everyone give every project the the attention that it deserves so that's great yeah. that you're you found that balance and it's working out so that's awesome word up word up hey, hey, and you're we're not running, we're we're running pretty long so we should go ahead and get through these things we did this week i was surprised i just looked at the time oh, okay. I'm like oh shit look at us <laughs> 38 um yeah okay so i guess my last it's tough because i have a couple here let me just throw them both at you here sure um and you know Whatever. If this becomes what it is, then it is. Okay. You throw it out, and if I don't like it, you can just reel it right back. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nope. I want to be on. Do you. that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so something that I've been thinking about lately, um, and less so this week, but what had been coming up is my process. So I've been doing the Slack method, which is a method that I will always use. It, it works the best for me. Um, but I've always been like a panel a day, a panel a day, a panel a day, right? Cause you get that. If you do that, you more than likely hit around 65 pages a year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been more of a page a week that's been going on. And that's not And that's not equivalent to the amount of days in that week. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more, but I've been doing about a page a week. That's what it's kind of worked out to. And I was like, do I want to switch to that? Which is more of like the Gary Hodges method. You know, it's like every Sunday that page has to be done, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I still looking at it. So I was like, okay, if I do a page a week, I have a more accurate time frame as to when this issue is going to be done like i said at the top of this episode i have 14 pages left that mm-hmm. means 14 weeks to finish this that's too long in my mm-hmm. estimation for what i like to do i wanted to get this done by the end of the year so 14 weeks is far too fucking long mm-hmm. um so i'm going to stick with my panel a day and when i do say panel a day for you listeners it's not only one panel a day like absolutely 
It's yeah. at the bare minimum. The bare mm-hmm. minimum is one panel a day. So the other day I finished two panels, two and a half, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. The, pa- the panel that's not done on this page that I'm currently working on is a giant panel that has a lot going on, to, uh, going on in it. So I took care of the smaller panels first, and then I started working on the big one. And then what happened today is I worked on another small one, and then I started working on the big one again. So, and, you know, it's it's uh, not not midnight over here. I have a few hours left in this, in this yeah. day, so I'll continue to work on that page. So I'm sticking with the panel a day. It just makes sense for how I like to do things. And it's, a, for me specifically, it's a much faster process. Um, mm-hmm. So if I, if I give myself a page a week, Guess how many pages I'll get done that week, Keith? You'll yeah, you'll you'll it'll be you'll get a page done, exactly. one page done. That's it. This is uh, this is Parkinson's law, right? Uh, are you familiar with Parkinson's law? Let me let me guess. Let me guess. Yeah. If you give yourself a week, you will take a week. The exactly the the amount of time you take to do something will equal the amount of time you give yourself to do something. That is Parkinson's law. Right. right. I'm pretty sure it's Parkinson's law. If if it's not, I'll look it up afterwards and then I'll just totally edit this part out and no one will ever <laughs> fucking hear it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of my thought on it as well. I think if I gave myself a page a week, that's all I would get done. Yeah. But if I tell myself bare minimum one panel a day, yes. I'm going to try to work ahead and get as far ahead as possible. So yes. and then I will by the end of the week, hopefully I'll have a page and a half done. And that's what we're running to into today. Today was, hey, I got a page done. By the way, I'm four panels done on the next page. And yeah. it's just me working as fast as possible. So um, I definitely don't want to hit that Parkinson's law. Like I don't want mm-hmm. it. Um, so I'm going to just keep it rolling, try to bang the shit out as fast as possible and just kind of give myself a deadline of mid January to finish this issue. Yeah, I, I am. That is what I agree with as well. Again, some things that have jumped in my head as you've been talking here, I was thinking of, I was trying to think of the name of the artist or of the writer, and I'm pretty sure it's Graham Green. Graham Green was a notorious two page a day guy. And when I say two-page-a-day guy, I hope I'm getting him right, I mean when he hit 500 words, even if he was in mid-sentence, he stopped. That was it, right? So I'm not that kind of person, you know? Like, I'm the kind of person where I want to hit my 500 words, and then, and then I just generally write until I feel like, okay, I've hit my target. You know, so like today, I did my 500 words at lunch for the novel, and, you know, as with it happen, as it happens a lot, you know, I write a little bit and I'm like, fuck, how many words was that? 83. Then I write a little bit more. I'm like, let me check how many words I am. You know, then I write a little bit more. I'm like, what am I at? I'm like, 186? Like, fuck, that felt like, <laughs> that felt like way more than that, you know? And then I write a little bit more and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, I like this. I like that. Let me check my words. 419. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that's how it's supposed to go, you know, because right. I love stats. And then I wrote a little bit more and I'm like, okay, where am I? 567. Boom. I feel oh, yeah. good. I'm, I'm going to, and, and this is, you know, then you get to that point where you're like, I could write more. But I have other things that are supposed to be my priority. The fact that my, that I'm I knocked out my goal for my number two priority today. That's all I need to do, you know. So yeah, and and the great thing about let's say I just write 567 words every single day. That's an extra page every four days because a page is 250 words. 
that's the value of just these small increments. You know, right. I, I'm a big believer in the value of small increments and I'm I'm very aligned with what you're saying there. Because otherwise, if I just stop typing at stop typing at 500 words exactly, that's 67 words I would have missed out on today had I been rigid to that and just been like, nope, that's the goal. Now get on to something else. Right. And, and also just jumping back, I know Gary Hodges specifically, he does work ahead if he's able to work ahead. Mm-hmm. So not, I'm not shoehorning him into no, we're not throwing the Parkinson's the law. Uh, Gary yeah. is quite productive. And so his minimum goal is that page a week. I just know myself and like how long I've been doing the panel a day. Mm-hmm. And it's just something I'm familiar with, and it's something that keeps me pushing forward. And 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 so to change that process and to say, hey, do that page a week, it might stifle how much I'm doing, and I don't yeah. want to do that. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And uh, because we've had some nice conversations here, I'm going to save this for next week, and we'll just talk about my other thing next week because it's still going to apply next week. So let's get to our main topic. Our main topic is. I guess letting colors work for you. I think the official title is going to be a little different than that. But guess what? I'm like 15.2 ounces into a 16.9 ounce beer. So that's so many ounces into so many different beers. (laughs) That's that's going to have to do for our impromptu version of whatever the fuck the title of this week's episode is. But what we want to talk about is color. And uh, so I'm going to start. And and so um, I, I think it's helpful to to talk about what this, like what led to this, right? The text that I sent you, Scott. And so I was I was trying to figure out what topics we can do for future podcasts. And I said, hey, I'm gonna pick random issues out of my boxes right now. And I'm just gonna look at them. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what comes to me. So I came up with four rando issues from my to be read pile, even though a lot of these to be reads, they're books that I've actually read possibly like owned, read, and sold off before, and now I re-own them, right? So part of my to-be-read is actually just reacquisitions of things that I've already read. But I looked through a couple things, and I was like, oh, isn't this interesting? So I'm going to use this as an example. Let me find this page, okay? Yeah, this is the page I'm talking about right here. I This is from Micronauts number 2 by Image, okay? And I'm going to show this page. You see that? Mm-hmm. Look, so what, Scott, what color is the page, the, the dominant color that we're looking at there? Um, the dominant color is red. Yeah. The secondary yeah. is yellow. So Secondary warm is yellow. And, and so when you get red with yellow, what do you invoke? Fire. Yeah, hell. You invoke fire, you invoke hell. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I didn't think much of it, you know. But then I picked up this, this is Marvel Comics Team-Up, number 126 and then i got to the second story with the hulk and what i was fascinated with was this page in particular scott so why don't you tell me what colors you're looking at there mostly green lots of greens yeah green and yellow there's some yellow backgrounds there and it's green because it's a hulk comic right but i think it's interesting that you know not so much the color of the hulk but when you look at these backgrounds there's a whole lot of yellow 
which is a complementary color to green. I'm not a color wheel expert, but it's in the same area. And it really, by being a yellow background, it seems to drive off the green and kind of augment the green. And so these two pages made me realize, like, in books that don't even use color as a, a thing for emphasis, they're still using color to dial in a subtle effect, right? So you have this page of the Micronauts where you have the bad guy, I believe it's Baron Karza in this case, in a battle scene or whatever, and you've got this cool hell effect, which of course is the red and the yellow. That's gonna amplify the fact that Baron is the villain, it's the bad guy, it's the, it's the demon, it's the Lucifer, you know, whatever of this story, and this particular page is driving that home. And then you contrast that to the Hulk, where on a panel with really nothing but blank backgrounds that are just colored, you see the choice of yellow as a background color to really augment that whole green effect of the Hulk. How that makes you feel, I'm not a color psychologist, so I can't tell you, but I think it's interesting that they chose that instead of any other of the primary colors, right? And what's interesting is that brings up how the primary colors all invoke emotions in us, right? So, Scott, let's let's do a quick uh, call and response here. I'm going to give you a primary color. You're going to tell me if you associate it with anything, okay? Okay. Red, you already said. Yeah. Go ahead. Fire. Red. Fire, right. Uh, yellow. Just yellow. Yellow? <laughs> Lemons? <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Lemons. I, I would say warmth. The sun. Sun, right? Yeah. Like something like that. Um, blue. Water. Cool. Right? Blue Blue mm-hmm. is a cool color. Uh, mm-hmm. Purple. Nurples. <laughs> I was going to say prince. Ooh. <laughs> right? So <laughs> I, I will say that, that pur- purple tends to be, yeah, you can, purple is one of the few that's pretty open to interpretation. Like right? a lavender, like, you yeah. know, like a flower or something like that. Yeah. yeah. White. Uh, purity, heaven, black, darkness, metal. Hell yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So look, those are, those are a lot of the primary colors right there. Green. Let's do green. Grass, flowers, yeah. Hulk. Yeah. Like, like the idea of, of life, of verdant lushness. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, of the primary colors, Almost every single one, like orange is tricky and purple is tricky when I was thinking about it. You know this. what's funny is I associate, and it's just not true, but I say, uh, I almost associate orange more with the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind that of totally bizarre. totally makes sense. Yeah. 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 Orange is one of my favorite colors, so like I, I don't really have much of an opinion on orange other than I like fucking dig it. <laughs> you right. Know? Yeah. But, it's um, I, like to me, it's warmth. I see, I see orange as warmth. Mm-hmm. Or like red is fire, orange is warm. You know, Ye- what I mean? yellow. Yellow is a soft warm. Red is an abrasive warm. So why yeah. wouldn't orange be the warm in between? Them? Yeah, those are all those are all warm colors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the point is that all of these basic colors invoke certain emotions, and what we're what you can see in comics is that let's let's understand a little bit of the history of comics. When comics were big on the newsstands between the 40s and the 60s, it was basically like a, a four-color vomitorium 
right? Like, if you look back at so many comics from back then, the goal of every single comic was to be as bright and colorful and eye-catching as possible. But what that also means is nothing really stood out because everything stood out. Again, it was right. it was one of Scott's favorite new phrases of the year. It was motorheads, everything louder than everything else, right? Yeah. It's like <laughs> everything is just really fucking colorful and it, it and you can't make much sense of it. That's why these pages are interesting to me because you're taking you're now using color for some kind of effect, right? And um, and I think another example, uh, an obvious example of using color for effect is when you have an accent color. So Frank Frank Miller's Day More Red, um, he has a few more. What that yellow bastard? That is yellow one bastard. Of them. I yep. think he did a blue one too, but I can't remember what the blue one was. I don't think it had a blue type name. But um, but look, hey, guilty as charged. Three protectors, right? It's black, white, and red. The red is for the lasers and the effects and obviously the blood. Um, that was a reference to the Afro Samurai manga, which was also black, white with accents of red. And plenty of comics out there use the accent red, right? Devil's Red Bride did uh, red. And I believe there's even a run of Marvel books where they call them something red. I know I have a copy of a Deadpool red because it had a Daniel yeah. Warren Johnson short in it. Black, white, and red. Mm-hmm. Black, white, and red, yeah. And I think Marvel does that for a couple different characters. So, you know, I don't know if you have anything that you want to say here, but I mean, I'll just say that like having a knowledge of these colors and understanding that yes, you can actually use these colors to some sort of effect, I think it helps. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because the book that I was going to reference is Kadoja. Um, mm. The interiors are black and white, but you do something with your covers that seem to jump out at people. Like, I've done enough shows with you where people will come and go, what's that? Just based off of the colors that are on your covers. You have a tendency to use high contrast colors, a lot of vibrant colors, colors that aren't necessarily the norm. They're not the primary colors, but mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, you got a hot pink, a hot orange, a hot, you know and I mean? Like a hot yellow or something on there and it jumps off of the page and it grabs people's attention. So it's something to think about using character or using colors, complementary colors on your covers. Um, another book that does it very well is Isola. We've mentioned it a couple of mm. times on the pod a while back. Isola has two different, they have A and B covers, and the B cover is always one that is using complementary colors. Mm -hmm. And it's like a single character with a um, white background. It's like a map, black and white background, mostly white. And then the foreground characters are complementary colors. And it's just such a simple process, but it jumps off of the shelf. Mm -hmm. So just something to think about when you're constructing your books, when you're constructing your covers. If you, like Keith said back in the day, okay, number one color to use on the cover was yellow because it jumps off of the the shelf. The -hmm. problem is everyone else was doing it. Guess what? No one's doing that now. So not everybody do it because I'm going to do it, but some of you could do it. And, you know, it's just something to think about. Look on, go to your local comic shop, look across the shelves, see what is jumping out at you compared Mm -hmm. to everybody else. What's, what's drifting into the background and what's popping off of the shelf. And more than likely, it's going to be a cover that has interesting cover choice 
or a color choice, excuse me, or just an interesting composition. So you never know what's going to jump out to you, but go to your local comic shop and see what that is and uh, take notes. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add there? No, man, I'm good. Okay, cool, cool. So what, what bullshit do you have then? Daredevil is not done. So Golden Age Daredevil <laughs> is back. Yeah. Um, I did the one giant purchase, which I mentioned say, for the year. Some say it would never, some some would say it never left, Scott. It never left. It's never, never left, left my your heart. heart. Yeah, exactly. It's never left my heart or my, it leaves my pocketbook all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there was another auction and I couldn't ignore it. I was like, you know what? Let's see where this goes. And it was an auction for Golden Age Daredevil 17 and 19. And I was like, all right. Auction starts at, I think it started at a penny or mm-hmm. $5 or something stupid, stupid low, where I knew it was. It wasn't even $5. It was $1 or something like that. It was a penny or a dollar. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 17 was coverless. 19 was not. Had cover. Mm. So I was like, okay, I'm look, 17 is a lower number, but it has no cover. I don't give a fuck about it. I do want that 19, though. I haven't seen a lot of 19s in my watches over the years for Golden Age Daredevil. I got it. I got them both, obviously. Yes, sir. Um, 46 bucks. So, hey. yeah, not terrible. Not terrible. Yeah. So that's what, honestly, for a 19 pre me mentioning it on the podcast and then everyone fucking snapping these off of eBay like crazy, me, that's I'm what I was paying. Yeah. You can get you could get Golden Age Daredevil 25 for about $25. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it because he was not on the cover, stupidly. Yeah. Now you can't get that book for anything less than $60. And it's frustrating. So yeah. watching this auction and just, you know, all right, I'm going to snipe it. I did. Yeah. Got it. Got it in the last few seconds. And yeah, 46 bucks. And I was like, that's a number I can absolutely live with for a number yeah. so low. So another one, another couple off the list, but the there is an addendum there right next to, there's a notation next to 17 going, hey, this is coverless. If you can get a better one, get a better one, right? Yeah. So um, that's one of them. That's one of the bullshits and uh, a price that I feel good about. And also one that's not going to affect me for a little bit, unlike the yeah. 300 and something dollars. Like, I feel good about it, but it's still a good chunk of change. Yeah, where yeah the 40s, you're going to be paying it for a little bit, sure. Yes, yes. And then the 46, it's like, yeah, we're good. We're good. I'm yeah. not worried about yeah, that one. Yeah, that's it. Just over and done. Over and yeah. done. Yeah, so I actually, the if I had a purchase I did this week, I think I mentioned this before, that I went to see a, um, a jazz concert at my kid's high school, right? My kid goes to, Eden goes to a creative arts high school and the creative arts high school has a jazz conservatory. And so, you know, in her senior year, we're doing our best to just enjoy as much of the opportunities of that school as we can. And so we went to this jazz concert by the jazz conservatory by three different groups within the jazz conservatory. It was so fucking good, man. You know, like Hmm. these were these were like seriously good musicians. It got better with each performance. And they ended up having like this fucking dude who I can't remember. He plays in like a a, a touring jazz orchestra and he sat in and played sax the whole time. And he was a monster, you know. But um, anyway, that spurred on this thing of, you know, like I own a few jazz records, but there's a certain type of jazz I don't own. And I don't own the whole like 
I don't own a lot of like bebop jazz records. So like Duke Ellington stuff, uh, Thelonious Monk. I think it's bebop, that kind of stuff. So I put an order together and that order showed up a few days ago and I'm really happy. I got a stack of records, you know, an inch thick, you know, like it was probably a good solid, like eight records, something like that. And -hmm. I'm working my way through them. And, uh, you know, a couple of them were super cheap. A couple of them were not super cheap, but it all balances out. And I've just been listening to that and smoothing out to jazz as I get in on the holidays, man. Again, jazz is jazz is a cool type of music to get work done to because you can either choose to pay attention or it can be background music. That's the beauty. of Yeah. That's awesome. So anyway, so yeah, I got that. And uh, and then I'll, I'll do another quick one and then we can go to you. Um, I was watching a Kung Fu film and we'll talk more about this next week. Okay. But okay. I was watching a Kung Fu film called Challenge of the Masters and I came across this quote and I was like, God damn, that's appropriate to making comics. Here's the quote, more or less. Kung Fu is something that after two years, you think you're not bad. Then after 20 years, you realize you're not so good. And that is the beginning of learning. That's great. That's Fuck fantastic. Yeah. Isn't it? You know, that it's funny because that really lends to something we were talking about uh, at Harland with, with uh, you know, my girlfriend and our friends. And um, it was more or less us talking about how when you're in your 20s, you don't know shit, but you think you know everything. Yep. And then for me specifically, I don't want to speak for everyone else. When you're in your 30s, or when I was in my 30s, that's when I realized, oh, I don't know dick. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was just like, oh, fuck. I thought when I was 24, I thought I knew everything. I th- They're like, you know, someone's like, ah, oh, you don't really know who you are in your 20s. You figure it out when you're like later on in life. And I, when I was 24, I was like, I know exactly who I am. And, you know, and then I look back in my my 30s and I'm like, oh, I was a fucking idiot. You know, I did this. I like like I did so many stupid things and you just kind of kick yourself and go, you know, it's it's one of those things. And and I, my best friend and I, we, we talk about this sometimes and it's just like, hey, do you ever just think about something you did 10 years ago and just kind of like, oh, you fucking idiot. And he goes, I do it every day of my life. And so it's just one of those things where uh, that really rings true to me, that that uh, Kung Fu quote. And what a fantastic quote that is. Yeah, so that reminds me of a, a what you say, reminds me of a quote that I've heard before. A, uh, a wise man knows nothing, a fool knows everything. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's mm-hmm. a, again, all, all of those things in that line, right? So no, I, I think that's very appropriate, right? That, and even to continue the thought, like in your 40s, you start to go like, hey, wow, I kind of know some shit. You know, like you'll say something and you'll be like, wow, that wasn't, that wasn't half bad. <laughs> you know, um, I feel like I, that sometimes on the pod. I'm like, yeah, that was all right. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't half bad. Yeah. yeah. Half bad. Doing all, right. all right. So I have something I want to talk about. I want to talk about the basketball game I just watched. Oh, so Scott, you don't know anything about this. I bet. Right. <clears throat> the Brooklyn Nets came back to philadelphia oh shit okay i do know that ben simmons was coming back so i don't know what happened so please inform me the sixers so so i'm watching the game and ben simmons is doing he's looking like 70 percent of the old ben simmons he still can't shoot for shit 
Um, I believe he finished the game with 11 points, seven assists and 11 rebounds, something like that. And, and so like throughout the game, like Simmons was doing some cool stuff and, and they were, you know, the announcers were saying like, oh, wow, Ben looks more comfortable on the court than he's been in a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't been on the court in a couple of years. So that definitely, you know, uh, explains it, but I'm sitting there watching. So what'll happen is Ben Simmons would like do a cool thing and they'd be like, okay, Ben Simmons looks good. And uh, and then Kyrie might come in and make a jump shot, and they'd be like, "Oh, Kyrie, you know." Oh, is he playing again? He's playing, you know. Oh, okay. And then, and then they were like, "Kyrie, he's got a great jump shot. He's a racist idiot, but he's got a great jump shot." Oh, wait, they didn't say that, but it was definitely <laughs> in the air. It. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, it was. It, it existed. They may not have said it, but it existed. <laughs> it was um, ether. Yeah, and then and then you know Durant, like, oh Durant, he's such a great scorer. Blah blah blah. Dude, Philly won by a dozen. Okay. Mm. Philly won by a fucking dozen. Guess who wasn't playing tonight for the Sixers, Scott? Embiid. That's one. And Harden? That's two. Oh, shit. Max. I'm not done. That's three. That's oh, three. fuck. The Their Sixers big three weren't fucking Brook- The Sixers beat Brooklyn by a fucking dozen with Tobias Harris trashing motherfuckers on the defensive end. <laughs> the so it's like, and I feel like I just feel like Brook- the Brooklyn Nets are are such a strange experience. Like I think I may have given yeah. you this comment in the preseason. It's like to watch the Brooklyn Nets. Like like here's what the Brooklyn here's look people who don't follow sports at all. I I know you can get what I'm saying here. Okay, if you're still listening, to watch a Brooklyn <laughs> Nets highlight is basically like here's a cool thing by Durant. Here's a here's a cool thing by Kyrie. Here's a cool thing by Ben Simmons. And then they show the final score. They lost by 14. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? I just saw nothing but Brooklyn Nets highlights. You asked, you acted like the other team did not even exist, and they lost by more than ten. You know, and like that is what this so game bonkers. was like. It was, it was like, you know, highlights. You, their defense is shit. Their defense yeah, is total shit. The Sixers, the Sixers shot more than fifty percent from three, and it, and like. It wasn't because the Sixers were having one of those lights out nights. It's because Brooklyn was giving them eight feet to shoot all of their threes. And mm-hmm. it's just like, these are NBA players, man. If if you if you let almost any NBA player stand unguarded, they are going to make the jumper. You know what I mean? Right. Like like mm-hmm. NBA players are so good, we can't even fathom that in our own little pickup basketball brains, how much better like they are than us, you know? Yeah. So yeah, man, it was just, it was really trippy because it was just like, you know, they're, they're like 80% of the commentary had to do with Brooklyn. And it was like a referendum on Brooklyn. It's like, in the meantime, like DeAnthony Melton and George Neon are like, trashing the nets like trashing them so it was how's your old boy play um he was your draft pick a couple years back he had high hopes and but he can't shoot for shit who was that guy Buell. thigh Buell. yeah how do you do i think i know he i think i think he the only thing i saw of him was like so thigh Buell can't even get on the floor this year yeesh and 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 like he's in a weird way he's like the mini ben simmons the dude Mm. can't make a shot and like thigh Buell. Thibault is a two-time second-team all-defense guy, and and he has been a 
anomaly in terms of second team all defense because he only plays 20 minutes a night. He never plays. So for a guy to make second team all defense with that few minutes, it never happens. But here's the thing. We got dudes that do what he does and play offense. We got DeAnthony Melton. That's that that has basically been the thibule killer because DeAnthony right. Melton can play defense and the guy shoots forty five percent from three. Okay. You know, so he's yeah. what he he's he's the thibule that was promised. He's just being you because you couldn't be you, <laughs> you know. But anyway, so you know, I, I know I'm talking a lot of uh, excited talk for a team that just barely cracks 500. But <laughs> no, it's man, been a like, fucked up beginning to the season for us because all of our players have been hurt, you know. But anyway. Anytime someone beats the Nets, it's funny to me because every offseason, every like basketball pundit that's on TV, they talk about, all right, everyone watch out for the Nets. Every single year, the last four years, it's been like the Nets are going to win it all. The Nets are going to win East, the East at least. Right. Yeah. And then every year they don't do anything because you have a bunch of players that are great individual players playing like individuals. And that's what, like, the NBA is a team sport now more than it ever has been. You know, in the 90s, the early aughts, you can get away with the one star dominating the game. It's just, that's not the game anymore. You know, Golden State, honestly, they revitalized, well, the Spurs never left as far as team basketball goes. Mm -hmm. But Warriors redefined it with these freaking lights-out shooters. You have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Now you have Jordan Poole. You have these guys that can, like, limitless range, and they can shoot the lights out. And when you play team basketball, you get that ball moving. You, It's so hard to stop. It's like, well, the ball's moving. You're chasing the ball, and then the, the ball gets in the hands of Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. It's like, yeah, you're done. Yep. You know what I mean? And exactly. then so, you know, and I think that's a lot of the downfall of those teams like the Nets, that it's just like you have these individual players who are great on their own, but the problem is they like playing on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're you're dialing into something. I remember I heard Malcolm Gladwell talk about this on his podcast, I think back in season one. And at the time, the NBA was not the sport that you were describing. So he was describing soccer as what's called a weakest link sport and basketball as a strongest link sport. So in other words, in soccer, you can't have any weak links. If you have weak links, they will get picked on and you will lose. At the time, and this is only like four or five years ago, so it's still maybe more like six or seven years ago. And this is when Golden State was coming into their own. But... His thing was like in basketball, if you have the best player on the floor, you're probably winning. But what has been interesting for me to think about ever since I heard Malcolm Gladwell say that years ago, and maybe it was even longer ago in one of his books before the podcast, I just confuse all of his work. I think basketball has moved to a weak weak link sport. I think basketball has now moved to the kind of sport where it doesn't matter how good your good players are. It matters how good your worst player on the floor is. You know, Mm -hmm. and that's why when I say things about like, you know, like Ben Simmons, right? Like, oh, Ben Simmons this and Ben Simmons that. It's like it's all well and good until somebody's going to leave him open in the playoffs. Because guess what? He's getting left open. Because when when playoff seating and championships are on the line, they're going to make your weakest link do the shit. 
you know, mm-hmm. and that's what basketball can't have weak links anymore, just like soccer, you know, and again, he gave a couple of other sports that I can't remember, but that's what's so fascinating about it. You can't, it, basketball has truly shifted by the nature of being such a team sport and requiring such attention by everyone on defense and every angle of the court that like, you just, you can't have weak links on the court anymore. And that's what makes it so interesting. So anyway, yeah, I was just, the whole thing was surreal, dude. It was surreal to hear all these great things about the Nets as they proceeded to just get their ass handed to them by basically a bench unit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, that's great. I mean, that's a great win. I mean, props to Tobias Harris, man. It was nice to see him because that, that guy's the fourth option on the 76ers right. now. So, and, and you forget, like, you forget about all these guys. And this applies to any sports league, man. These guys are so fucking good, man. You know, like, Tobias Harris is so good good at basketball and you forget it because he's the fourth option on a really good Sixers starting five but yep, anyway absolutely. so good times it was it was great and Ben Simmons even bricked two free throws so the fans got free Chick-fil-a so <laughs> <laughs> nice good times good times Hell did yeah. you have anything else no man I'm good all right uh so hey so when it comes to instagram you can find me at keith underscore invader that is my instagram handle i am trying out this hive thing and i'm keith r foster on hive because apparently twitter is going to die in a fire any day now so a lot of people are going over to hive so i don't know if this might be the only time i even mention that but if you are on that platform hey give me a shout because i may not be on it for long like a lot of people are just testing it out to see how it works. Um, and I also have, in addition to Keith underscore Invader, I am Kadoji, at Kadoji Kaiju. That is all one word, and that is all giant monsters all the time, but I don't post that frequently on it. And you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter and Instagram. Maybe I'll check out Hive, make sure no one steals my name there, yeah. and try to get that as early as possible if that Take- becomes a thing. Exactly. Take that, you Korean used car company. You can't you can't block me on Hive. <laughs> That's a great callback. <laughs> All right. And then uh, so for me, um, with websites, it's KeithRFoster.com. There are pages about my both of my properties. And of course, there are more properties getting added and will get added over the next year. Um, but for now, we have Kadoja, which is Giant Monsters, Meet HP Lovecraft, and Three Protectors, which is Kung Fu in Space. They are all there waiting for you at KeithRFoster.com. And if you like what you see, there's a store right there, and you get to grab those books. <laughs> nice. Uh, you can go to AccidentalAliens.com. Go to uh, the Second Shift tab there. Look for Second Shift. You could pick up the first volume you could pick up a bunch of issues there it's a uh, minimum wage superheroes and wanders Melisande, anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans the first three issues should be there um if not i need to check the website i'm pretty sure all three are there but uh, i'll double check that at least the first two for sure um accidentalaliens.com go pick up those books it never works it never works you fuck oh i i missed my cue i missed oh my shit cue. oh man. so much beer yeah, exactly. Exactly. But okay, so it funny, funny thing. I missed my Q. Q what what letter of the alphabet is Q? I'm way too drunk to say this. So I think chill Rob plus the seventh letter. I think R is seventeen. So so Q would be let's see, M is thirteen, N is fourteen, O fifteen, P sixteen? Seventeen. I think Q is seventeen. Seventeen. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you divide seventeen by three point two, do you know what you get? Actually, I think. Oh it's yeah, 3. you're right. 4. Seventeen. Seventeen. If you divide seventeen by three point four, you know what you get. 
I think you do. You get Five you stars. get exactly the amount of stars that you need to give this podcast for not only that drunk math that I just awkwardly stumbled into, but for whatever that five-star tip was that we gave for the five-star experience, like way a long time ago, back when I was sober. So that's what I, that's what I learned from a couple of podcasts ago. When you're drunk, you don't answer math questions. My, (laughs) you're all, what's the square root of 25? And I'm like 25. And I'm like, no, it's five. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I didn't realize that until sober after you was railing against drunk you. It was the next when the re- the episode released. I was like, I don't even remember saying that. <laughs> <laughs> that is, see, ex- see, where else can you get this kind of five star podcast experience, guys? So hey, go over there, Apple Podcasts, throw us five, Spotify, throw us five, d- d- fucking buy. Remember back in the... Dude, did you do this like I did? Like, you would find these cool magazines and you would get, like, throwing stars? And you would you would buy, like, ninja throwing stars? Did you ever do this? Or was this a thing in Houston? Oh, fuck. I don't know, man. Dude, when I was growing up, people, like, it was this thing about, like, fuck, I got ninja stars. And you get these shitty fucking, like, four-pointed stars that you could throw. And then you'd, like, all you do is throw them at, like, a wooden fence. Right. Yeah, and we didn't you, get those in California. It was always illegal over here. I dude, think. it was it was almost certain. Well, dude, I grew up in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like what the what the fuck was in, everyone carries his gun. So Ninja Stars is like <laughs> you give stars, it to your three year old. Ninja Stars ain't shit. I bought beer when I was 15. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. And by the way, if you were buying Ninja Stars, you would clearly buy five because that's how many Ninja Stars you would throw us when you were giving us a review. <laughs> And if you enjoy all of these things that we've been saying to you, uh, if you want to know more, hear more, uh, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If there's any topics that you want us to broach on this show, we will do it. Let us know what you got and we will talk about it if it, uh, hey, if it's interesting. Yeah, man, we we haven't talked about it before. Hey, we still have a few open slots here as we count down to the year end. So, uh, hey, if you want to cram something in by year end, you still got a chance if you hit us up. So, you know That's the deal, what she man. Said. Hey now. Yeah, yeah. We got another one in the books. We did it. We did it. So hey, another week. Doing shit out of order I'll, over here. I know. That's it's all good. It's all good. I'm answering cues that don't exist. All right, brother. I'll see you next week. <laughs> okay.